Today, we are going to be looking at fatherhood as a calling. And to set, to frame our thoughts in this, we'll be looking at Ephesians 6, verse 4. This is the Apostle Paul telling this to the Ephesian church, but he's, the Holy Spirit's telling us. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, we need you. As fathers, as dads, we need you in big ways. To understand how to steward the calling of fatherhood. That your truth is replicated and passed on generation to generation. Holy Spirit, give us your wisdom, give us your illumination, but most importantly, Holy Spirit, give us your anointing for this calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fathers get to be superheroes for a time in their children's lives, don't we? When they're small, we can do anything. Just daddy can do it. Everything from open that jar to fixing something that we know really didn't take much effort or skill or intelligence, but we get the praise of our children. And I'm glad for this. For dads of daughters, that lingers a bit as they grow until they have a man that comes into our li- her, their, their lives and all of a sudden when they have a need, dad's not called first, the boy is called first, and there's this weird, whoa, 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 he can't help you yet. I can still help you. I, I, I can still help you. Uh, just recently, uh, my children admired, one, my strength and my intelligence. My 18-year-old, admired my strength the other day and pointing out that I don't even work out. <laughs> I said, yep, you're right, because dad is strong. My almost 16-year-old said, you really can do everything. I said, yep, I can. Thanks to YouTube now, I really can do everything. <laughs> I am YouTube certified in several different categories, and it's very helpful. It saves me a lot of money, so I'm thankful for YouTube in that way. But I'm I'm enjoying this while it lasts um, until they find their men who will take their admiration, and rightfully so. Uh, But my calling, and and this week as I was preparing, uh, my calling as a a father is, is the one I tremble at the most. It hit me hard this week as I realized that I'm on the precipice of having the majority of my children out of the child-rearing time frame. And one of the joys of sending our children out is to see the ways that they come back, uh, to, to send them out to own their own faith and how they come back to ask questions about the faith and ask questions about the wisdom that they grew up with. Uh, I love getting the reports from Kathy on, on who has called to ask for perspective and the conversations that have taken place. And, and as I've said before in this series, but in the course of just pastoring our church, uh, God does not call us to do anything he's not already revealed in himself. 
And he doesn't call us to do something. He doesn't give us the power of his spirit to accomplish and to walk in. But our best attempts to be great dads and wonderful wise fathers uh, get the knees taken out because we are, we are aware of our shortcomings and our limitations because of our own sinfulness. But the role of father is a heavy one. We can lead our children, we should be leading our children, desiring to lead them into a joyful pursuit of God. But we know because we know the fallout of bad dads and unloving fathers. We know the fallout from people that we know, possibly even our own lives. We know the fallout that, that our relationship with them could also translate into a miserable wandering through life with no direction and no sight of God. We know the wake of destruction fathers have left. Cutting words, forceful obedience, withdrawn affection. They've left a terrible hole in the hearts of people that we know, but also in society itself. The role of father is a crucial one that cannot be neglected, and it cannot be handed off to others. God's calling us Today, dads, he's calling us to engage with our calling so as to build our children into Jesus so they see him as greater than anything. But this is a hard task. It's a hard task, but it's a blessed task. So to capture our our big thought today is the call of a father is to steward the likeness of God in cutting a path to Jesus in the hearts of our sons and daughters for the flourishing of enduring hope. Now, for fathers of little ones, let's kind of take this through segments of childhood. Uh, The fathers of little ones, this requires a sowing and reaping strategy. You know, a, a, a wise man, uh, a pastor in Orlando, actually the church that Jordan grew up at, uh, years ago, it, it just in the course of conversation, he said to Kathy and me, he said, parenting has about a 10-year reaping. You sow, and about 10 years later is when you reap. And we actually have found that to be helpful. But you know when that was really helpful? When our kids were two and three and four and five and six that was helpful to recognize what we're doing now. All right, Lord, I'm trusting we're going to reap this when they're 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. Because you want to reap some really good fruitfulness at those early teenage years and mid-teenage years. But for fathers of elementary ages, this requires a long obedience in the same direction for you. We have to, we, those elementary years, it's, it's the same conversations over and over and over again. And as much as we want to say, haven't I talked about this forever? And you still don't get it. We, we continue in patience and in love. We continue to say the same things in the same love. Now, for fathers of teens, this requires a lot more listening than fixing, capturing the heart. And fathers of grown children, This requires patience with the things that don't make sense to you. Particularly, how your children will parent their own kids in ways that you didn't parent them. And you think, where in the world did you learn this from? Because I certainly didn't teach you this. This is not how you were raised. But there's a a patience that's required. Having grown kids, when, when they're making their decisions and you're thinking, 
I would have not told you to do it that way. And fathers, please be encouraged. It's never too late to begin the hard work of capturing your children's hearts. It's never too late. A scripture that the Lord gave to me years ago in the midst of um, a lot of, of crying, complaining, and diapers was Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. And I, I had that, for me, it became a, a visionary scripture for my fathering. That I, I, wanted, I want that tree of life, and we know from Psalm 1 the blessings of the tree of life, and we see that tree of life in the Garden of Eden as well as in heaven itself. It's the tree of life. Now, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, eternal life. So how do we do that? Capturing souls. And I said, Lord, I, I want to learn and be wise and be diligent, and I want to be good at capturing my kids' souls. And I hope the Lord encourages your heart to trust him in your task as well. But the first thing that we recognize and we see is that the uh, fathering and the call to be a godly father is a noble, it encaptures a, a noble title. We have a shared name with God himself. And this is humbling and it's also frightening. God has lent his name to us for a time on this earth to show our children the wonder and glory that he is. That's why this is a hard and, and also noble task. Our charge as fathers is to demonstrate God's character to our children so they're able to form a correct opinion of God. This is that, that weird teetering on joyful pursuit of God or miserable wandering because of our love. And our fathering, for them to be able to say, oh, oh, God's like that? I see that in my dad. I've grown up with that. That's, that's the purpose. That's what God desires for us. And we need to learn to be a proper representative of God by knowing God ourselves. We have to know him really well. But is this an impossible task? No. God's given us his spirit to empower our calling as fathers. And there is an, there's an ever-present snag in our lives, and it's, it's in the realm of our self-confidence. We will oftentimes father out of self-confidence rather than show the futility of self-confidence and putting trust in ourselves. We will parent out of self-reliance rather than complete surrender. And so when we zoom in to fix a situation... Our kids, perhaps, will be left more with our, our, our uh, harshness to end something rather than the wisdom to find out what's going on in the hearts of our kids to be able to help them see God. We trust in ourselves, but to show our children trust in God, we need to repudiate any trust in ourselves. We need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. We must follow him, putting all of our confidence in him so our children will put their full confidence in God as well. And as wonderful and glorious it is when our children imitate us, may they imitate us putting confidence in a very big God who deserves everything and he's worthy of every aspect of our lives and he's worthy of everything that we say. He's worthy of everything that we do. 
It's a shared name. We also share authority. As God's representatives, he's given us a portion of his authority over our children. He's the authority over our children, but he's delegated us to walk that out in a way that will, again, help them understand who God is. We're called to summon obedience. We're calling and commanding obedience from our children. And we are called to expect a result. The authority says obey, and then the authority also says I'm expecting obedience. We are to wield authority in the benevolence of God's love as he does all things according to the counsel of his will. We are to be authoritative, but not authoritarian. Help us understand that. An authoritarian forces obedience and behavior. You will do this. Because I said so, you feel the force of you must obey. But authoritative is a person who grounds obedience, not in me forcing obedience because I want you to obey. It, It grounds obedience in God. Authoritarians center obedience on themselves. Authoritative fathers center obedience in God. You need to do this because God calls you to do it. I'm setting the example. We, we are going to obey God. Now, fathers, we need, to, we need to center our children's obedience on the truth revealed in God's word. Uh, we oftentimes can slip into this corrective mode where we are correcting our children based on how we want life to be. I want life to be easy, so everybody needs to be quiet. I want life to be uh, for and centered around me and to do what I want right now, so the entire house needs to change everything to center around me. It's a miserable way to use authority. We need to be submitted to God's authority. We must not use Scripture as a way to get our children to obey what we want them to do, but use Scripture as a way to highlight the greatness of God and how he calls all of our obedience to himself. Joe Carter, in an article, we're not, we aren't supermen, dads, we're surrogates, says we must recognize that all earthly authority is delegated from God. We therefore have no reason to feel either superior or inferior since exercising authority and submitting to authority authority are both forms of obedience to God. And if we want our children to be obedient to Christ, we will model for them both how to wield authority and to also submit to authority in a way that is loving and gracious. So for fathers, how do we know we're submitted? I would ask it this way. Do you have someone in your life within the family of faith, not a boss in a job, but within the family of faith, the church, that that loving brother would be able to tell you no to something, to check your, your uh, decision-making, to, to bring perspective to your life that either causes pause or you recognize, man, I, sh- I really shouldn't be pursuing that. I was off on it. See, guys, we, and this is what we've sought to do in our men's ministry for the past several years, we cannot walk out life alone because that's self-trust. We trust in ourselves. We don't trust in, in the brotherhood that God gives us within the body of Christ to help us along. That's why we, we will continue to say it, and it's so important to walk with other men. Accountability is not somebody coming to you to tell you to do something differently. 
Accountability rests in each one of us when we say, I'm going to submit myself to you and say, here are my thoughts, here are my desires, what do you think? I think they line up with scripture, but I need your perspective. I'm, I'm, I don't think of everything. So we're able to understand that. Those are some jets flying over. That's pretty cool. We have a shared name with God. We have shared authority from God. And we are also to share his affection with our children. Our God is a loving father. He hears our hearts. He responds with grace in our time of need. He receives us as sons and daughters. He forgives. He doesn't hold grudges. And he rejoices over us. Our Heavenly Father has affection for us. Think all the qualities personified in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The father gave. The father watched. The father loved. The father ran. In that running, he's ignoring customs. He embraced. He kissed. He forgave. He gave again, and he celebrated. These are all affectionate things also, his son would know that he had a lasting identity in that house. Dads, may, may our affection toward our children stir them to know two things. One, there's nothing that will ever take our love away from them. And God's love is always with them as well. Show affection. Show affection to your sons. Show affection to your daughters. Tell them you love them. If that's difficult for you to do, practice it and do it. A dad should be able to tell his son or daughter, I love you. That should not be difficult. If it is difficult, I'm sure there's a reason for that. Seek help. I'm serious about this. I don't want to be trite about this. Dads, God tells us all the time he loves us. And if your children grow up and they don't hear you say, I love you, they're going to be miserable wandering around trying to figure out where God's love is. Dads need to say, I love you. And, and make it, get over the awkwardness until it becomes normal. Until it becomes something that your child doesn't like, Dad, you're weird. Why, why, are, you telling, why are you telling me that? Okay, you love me, that's great. No, it is great. Tell them you're proud of them. And do it in this way. I'll periodically tell my children, I'm really proud of you. And they will normally say, respond, for what? You know, I didn't do anything. Like, that's exactly right. You don't have to do something for me to be proud of you. Because I'm proud of who you are. You're mine. You're my daughter. You're my son. I'm proud of who you are. Not necessarily for what you've done. And dads, we have this unique way uh, our kids pick up on it because, again, the brokenness of sin that we, and the world that we live in, we, we want the affirmation of our performance more than we understand the identity of who we are. And so we look at dads for that. Am I, are we okay? Am I good? Do I need to do something else to get in favor with you, to get your affection from you? How do I do that? Dads, we need to be just, we need to be proud of them for who they are, not just what they do. Hug your children, kiss them, receive them, forgive them. Take interest in them, celebrate them. 
We're not talking about worshiping kids. We're talking about loving them the way God does. Listen to my, one of my favorite verses to describe God's love, Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Isn't that wonderful to think of God doing that for us? And don't, don't disqualify yourself and think, well, God just sings over everybody else. I'm sure he doesn't have a song for me. No, he has a song for every one of his sons and every one of his daughters. He sings loudly over us. That's why heaven rejoices over salvation. God is a, a rejoicing and celebrating God. And he desires to, to capture us into that celebration and that expression of love. Look, he rejoices over us with gladness. God's happy with us. He quiets us by, these are, these are fatherly qualities. A mighty one, strong, who comes in to save, rejoicing with gladness and quiet and giving the atmosphere of love in the house that settles and calms and this comes by the use of authority. Dads, don't use your authority. Don't use, uh, take authority to leave your children uh, with a bigger picture of themselves or a bigger picture of you. Use your authority and your affection to show how big God is. So it's a helpful thing, dads. Are your kids more aware of your disappointments? over them? Or are they, they still aware? Now look, um, because of sin and brokenness, we, we tend to hear the effect upon us, especially from people that we admire, love, and want the approval of. We hear negative more than we hear positive. Even though there might be more positive, we will hear the negative and hold on to it longer. But dads, we need to be good at giving positive commendation praise not worship praise you did really well not just not not bringing back the attitude to make sure it's in line sometimes it's, there's going to be enough time for that but when you have time to say hey you had a great attitude just now you got to be able to point that out you played well or you fought hard. You prepared really well for this. I know it didn't go the way that you thought, but I'm proud of you for your preparation. That was awesome. God is pleased with that. Pointing out the things that God looks at that maybe we, uh, we oftentimes are unaware of or ignore just because we're, we're focused on an outcome. We need to learn to speak tenderness and kindness over our children just like God does over us. Remember in Romans 2, 4, the way he gets us to repent is with kindness. He doesn't come to us condemning us. He doesn't come to us reminding us of every, every time that we've uh, neglected him or done our own thing. He says to us over and over and over again, my kindness is going to lead you to repentance. So we have a noble title. We also have a mighty task in front of us. This is where Paul says discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers are to discipline their children. This is more than just simply correcting obedience and doling out consequences. So you disobeyed again, so we're going to do it all. This is a training of a life that learns to respond to God. We hold the high standard of obedience out for young children. 
in order to posture them to hear God's voice calling them. You know, discipline in the home and for children, it keeps a boundary up. And that boundary is a safety net for them. They know, and you can describe it to them. I described it to my kids. Look, we discipline and we we expect correctness, because not because we're performance-minded. It's not because we need to be good enough for Jesus, so he accepts us. No, when we obey, we, we ensure that we're within that boundary. So the day that God speaks to us, we hear him. Because if we're disobedient and we go outside of that boundary, God will speak and we're not even around to listen. Because our hearts are hard and we don't want to yield to him. We don't want to obey him and and trust that he has the goodness for our lives. So discipline comes in and says, no, it keeps this barrier around in the day that God will call your name. So for these little ones, who you know, they give you that look, like you know exactly what you're doing. You knew exactly you were disobeying me. Discipline comes to them because we don't want them to get outside of that boundary. We want to keep them within that boundary. One, so they know the character of God, and he expects obedience, but also so they'll hear his name. They learn to respond to him. We want to grow. We want our kids to grow, to obey God's call for them, for the day that we're not around to remind them of it. And parents of older ones we know, when they step out into adult seasons, we, we think, man, wish I had a little more time. I, uh, maybe good. But we want them to make really wise choices. We want, we want them to discern what pleases the Lord and walk in it and obey it. We want them to fulfill Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We want our children to do this. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Discipline helps children discern the good of God. We discipline, fathers, we discipline because we have a disciplined life. Our children need to know our stability and and the stability in our lives that comes from our disciplined life with God. We love God and we pursue God. They need the security of a strength that's uh, properly applied as fits the occasion. We want to be disciplined in our own lives with the Lord to be able to know how to address them in the situation that it's calling for. And as fathers in discipline, discipline involves justice and mercy. Justice is a payment for a wrong committed. Willful willful disobedience is to be corrected through discipline. Now, we need to be discerning. We need to be discerning on, on the discipline that will capture your child's heart. But Scripture is clear that spanking is a godly form of discipline. Correctly administered, discipline is a proper teacher to bring about obedient actions toward God and for God. Now, due to ungodly fathers and the abhorrence of child abuse in society, discipline uh, is seen only as demeaning a child and thus treated with contempt and repudiation. And I would say spanking a child in an ungodly fashion is to be repudiated. 
and it's to be held with contempt. But how do we, how do, we do this as believers? When Scripture says that there is a rod of discipline that is helpful to make sure our children respond to the Lord. I think on one hand, uh, Christian parents are rejecting spanking as a form of discipline out of cultural pressure. And, and there is a cultural pressure in, in our culture. And I remember a few years ago, a famous football player sent his son out to get a switch and just whipped him silly. That is an ungodly form of discipline. Discipline, godly discipline, doesn't tell your child to go get the rod themselves. That is a cultural thing that is to be repudiated. So there is cultural pressure. But I think on the other hand, I see and I have a concern that young parents are giving up on this form of discipline just too early. It's premature because they don't just don't see the, the fruitfulness from it. Now, some kids, most children, will respond to spanking. Most will. A very few, and this is where you need to be discerning for your own child. I've known families with their children that the spanking was not addressing the heart the way it needed to. And they, they realized they needed to go about it a different way. Now, for a two-, three-, and four-year-old, reasoning, we can't just think that a you know, our culture treats little children as adults, but they're not adults yet. Their mental faculty does not understand how to process through the information. That's why they need the wisdom and authority and love of a parent to help them understand how they are. It's, I, I think timeouts can be effective. I think for the most part, what timeouts do, the way that culture says do them, is send the child off. Well, now the culture, I don't think they just doesn't even do timeouts anymore because they don't want the child to sit alone because it might harm their psyche. But sending a child off to go think about what you've done, mister, that's not a godly form of discipline either because that child can't figure out why they did what they did. So we can't expect the child to be an adult in that situation and think about what they did and why they didn't. And then, are you ready to obey now? That's not the end goal. The end goal of discipline is not to get what you want them to do or to, to put God's name on it to say, okay, you're ready to do what God wants you to do now? They're going, I have no idea what to do. And I have no idea what God wants me to do. Dad, Mom, I need you to help me understand that. Look, in the discipline process with my children, when I would ask them, why did you disobey Daddy or why did you disobey Mom? They would tell me this, and it was the most truthful answer they could ever give me. I don't know. Yeah, I understand that. Because that then provides the opportunity to explain the power of sin. Yeah, see, I'm saying that anger just gets a hold of you, and you don't know what to do with it, and you just, yeah. And my kids would say, yeah. And say, you know, Daddy was able to just say it like that because I've sinned in the same way. I know it too. And I know the power of sin. And you just, you just want somebody to be down so you can be exalted. You explain the power of sin, but you also explain that that's what we need to be saved from. Because God does not, he doesn't want us to be trapped by that sin anymore. That's why he sent Jesus to take the penalty of all that sin I would tell my kids, Jesus took all of our spankings upon himself. He took them all upon the cross so we would be completely freed from them and we could have the power of the Spirit inside of us to not always give in to the sin 
but to be able to obey Jesus. And then the gospel comes in. And then you pray together. And you ask for forgiveness. The child asks for forgiveness. And you forgive. There's no more grudges. And then then you say, I love you. And you're praying, asking God, God, help me. I want to hear your voice and I want to overcome sin. See, we, we don't do discipline that way because it takes a long time. And around the fifth time in a day, in maybe three hours, you're ready to pull a ripcord like, get me out of here. I just want to stop doing this. That's why dads particularly in that elementary year, need long obedience in the same direction. We keep on sowing because we want to reap what God has. Here's a a little definition about discipline. Properly, Properly applied discipline is to be a private interaction between parent and child. That's why you don't spank a child in in public. You don't even scold a child in public. Because that does demean them. It's a private conversation in a, a maybe a particular place in your house that you know. We go there to talk about it. And it's that good 20 to 30 minute talk and trying to figure out what's going on. So it's a private interaction between parent and child to understand the wrong done. What did you do? Why did you do that? The expected right that should have been done You sinned, you disobeyed mom when she said to do that. Now, what should you have done? Then also, the penalty for not doing the right. That could come in the form of a spanking, that could come in the form of a a consequence in terms of, of something being taken away from them for a, a time frame to help them, and the asking for and granting of forgiveness. These, we've got to be, dads, we've got to be discerning on how to go about doing this. This is where we need the Spirit's anointing to help us so we don't, uh, we don't discipline in anger and frustration all the time because life's just not going like we want it. We need to be like God to our children. We need to be patient and loving and kind. We need to establish clear rules that are based on justice. Justice meaning this, love God and love the people around you. That's the justice we're talking about. A huge help for us when our kids were young was the 21 rules of this house. I actually have copies back there uh, by the children's check-in that you can feel free to take and post in your house. Look, they're laughing because they remember them. We, We use that thing so well. When you take something out, you... Put it away, see? Works. It's very good. We don't create unnecessary work for others. That was the one I always used. When you take something out, you put it back. They're helpful, so please take that. Uh, But listen, dads, fathers should lead in disciplining in the home. This looks like when you're home, you do all the disciplining, all of it, when you're home. There have been times and seasons of our lives uh, when I've had to come home from work to discipline one of the kids. 
because it just was not their interaction with their mom. And I told them, when mom says it, it's like dad's saying it. You need to obey as if dad's saying it. And part of that frustration is, um, why do you always obey dad and not mom? Why? And trying to rummage around in their own hearts is you're not honoring mom. You're not respecting mom. She's just as important in in what she says. you, You hear that coming from my mouth. We don't want to be in this weird way of the mom is seen as the disciplinarian and the dad is only geared toward mercy. It's dangerous for our children. And one, they'll play as like a fiddle, get what they want all the time. But dad's coming home from work. I had, I had a 20-minute ride when my kids were young from work to home, and I got my mind right on that 20-minute ride where I said, all right, Lord, I'm walking into a situation where I want to come home and I want everything to be nice and easy and peaceful because I'm done with my day. But my wife hasn't been done with her day. She really is never done with her days. Even when she's sleeping, the kids are still waking her up. She's never done with the days. It was <laughs> we had this, the girls were all small. It was like some nights they took turns. It's like, are y'all, are y'all talking upstairs and trying to figure out who's next? Why are, you, why are you doing this? And it's not like we're like baking them cakes in the middle of the night that they'd want to get up. It's just the opposite. It's like, you better go to bed because we are really tired. You're scared again? But mercy is part of the discipline process. Mercy is the absorption of wrong committed so the guilty is not punished. Who absorbs the wrong? The parent the dad, as a demonstration of the gospel. There is a God-glorifying response of mercy that can be employed by dads to demonstrate the greatness of God. And these should be fewer, fewer in number than the justice type of discipline. They should be led by the Spirit. Mercy can be shown when accidents happen. I know it was an accident. You don't discipline over an accident. They really didn't know. We discipline over willful disobedience for clear and established parameters and guidelines. Mercy is shown when something's beyond the child's ability to repay the broken lamp or the broken window from throwing a ball in the house. Now, throwing a ball in the house, would then maybe that's the willful disobedience. And there's the consequence because you have an opportunity to show justice and mercy. Mercy is not only shown... Um, Mercy is not to be shown when you just don't want to discipline because you don't feel like it. That's not mercy. Because that's not how God interacts with us. You don't want the appearance. I mean, husbands and wives, you need to help and support one another. Uh, and it needs to be, if your wife is thinking, all right, you've got too much mercy going on. Because when you go to work, they're still just as disobedient. Then you know, all right, my mercy is not really mercy right now. It's just giving them a, a license to, to disobey some more. But discipline, justice, and mercy are God-given opportunities to turn your child to Jesus' sacrifice for sin. So even in mercy, we highlight the gospel. Even in mercy, all right, something bad happened, but who's absorbing the wrong that was done? Dad is, mom is, because God loves us and he absorbed in Jesus. He absorbed all of our wrong on the cross. And we appeal to them over and over again for them to surrender their lives to Christ. All right, I'm going to, there's a cool Henry Clay Trumbull. He's got a cool thing on 
training a child's will. That is uh, Elizabeth Elliot's dad. So you don't want to know what he is. But I'm going to move on to instruction. Instruction refers to the strategic and intentional teaching of the faith, both formally in family devotions, taking advantage of dinner time, devotions, and there's several resources out there, uh, just quick 10-minute devotions that you can do at the table. They're wonderful, and it's also uh, the strategic and intentional teaching informally as you go on car rides, as you're, you're taking a trip. Fathers are to lead in teaching the truth. They aren't the only ones to teach the truth, but they are to be the primary teachers. We, we, in our instruction, we highlight the greatness of God. And when you teach your children the truth of God, you are cutting pathways to Christ in their hearts. When we highlight Jesus and we highlight the sufficiency of God's word and we highlight the glory of God, God's making his way into the hearts of our children. And that's what we want. We want to clear the path for God to get in there. And the parents, dads, don't settle for a fathering that just looks like a prevent defense. Like, I'm just, just making sure nothing catastrophic happens. Because you know from every Saints game that you've ever watched, especially in the 80s, when they were playing the prevent defense under Jim Mora, it just prevented them from winning. Am I right? I'm right. Because everybody's just sailing in on the field. Touchdown again. Saints lose. Our kids and grandkids have no idea how bad the saints were. They've grown up with the saints being good. But dads who only are on kind of just, hey, I'm just kind of out here, just I'm a presence, I'm just here. No, that's not intentional instruction. I'm here if they need me. No, that's not what God's calling you to do. He's calling you to get after their hearts. And now Paul says don't provoke them. We are not to discourage or embitter our children by robbing their faith through three things, an inconsistent witness, where we lack honor, we lack integrity. Who we are at church is very different from who we are at home or at work. We're not the same person in every category of our lives, and we don't sound like a Christian or we don't act like a Christian. We will rob them of faith if we are inconsistent in our witness or if we are inconsistent with discipline. When we have arbitrary rules, when kids can't figure out what, all right, what's going to set dad off today, or arbitrary punishments, just let, dole, that's the doling out the consequences. We will rob faith from them and they will be frustrated and embittered toward us and toward God. The third thing is the misuse of authority when we want them to respond to us rather than responding to God. And always remember the sin that we see and are correcting in our children, they got from us. So whether your ch child has this uh, super great form of talent that each parent fights over who they got it from, well, they got that from me, they got that from me. So whenever they're complaining and they're angry and they're sinning all over the place, then parents, you still need to fight. Or did they get that from you or from me? I think they got that from you because God's blame, right? Yeah, they got that from you, that's not me. But it's humbling to say, oh, you got that from me. Because it helps our children. And be a, consi a consistent witness to them. You know the greatest way that you can be a consistent witness is by repenting to your children when you sin against them. Tell them you are sorry for sinning against them. And, and when you're caught red-handed in a sin, 
and you try to reason your way out of it, like somehow dad is okay in that sin area, your children will say, why do I want to follow God? You're inconsistent in your witness. Repent to them. Tell them you're wrong and ask their forgiveness. Now the third point, we have an enduring hope. We exalt Christ. We set an example of power and placing our hope in Christ alone. We don't place our hope in financial success or in athletic prowess or in superior intellect, not wins and losses. They know that our excitement over a sport, at the height of it, they need to be able to say, well, yeah, Dad shouts at the TV, but he shouts about Jesus in church, and that's cool. there's not this discrepancy with dad's passions. They know dad is passionate for Jesus. We put our hope in scripture. We don't put our hope in stats. May there be no confusion over where our passion lies. And may our children see that our greatest experience on this earth is worshiping Jesus. That's our greatest experience on this earth. And that's what will cause our children to say, oh, I want to follow God. Because I see, I see something alive in my dad. I see something passionate about him. I see his life fulfilled and the pursuit of his joy in Jesus. I want to replicate. I want to imitate that. Dads, that's what we want. And look, skipping over that quote, you can go back and read Piper. He's always good for an awesome quote. But we want to grow glory in our children. 2 Samuel 23. The God of Israel has spoken. This is uh, King David, not the greatest dad on the planet. So we can learn something from his mistakes. He says, the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. Fathers. When we rule over our children in love, in righteousness, righteous love, as God does, we will cause our children to grow in faith and in the character of Christ like the sun causes grass to grow. That's David's promise. And may our fathering be a heavenly rain, refreshing rain, an effective rain causing our children to see Jesus as the greatest thing they can ever, ever, ever live for. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray for dads here to work hard, to sow hope. God, I pray that we would repent of our secondary passions and our our secondary loves in this world that will oftentimes get in the way of, of a clear presentation of your love and glory in our lives. God, I pray that as dads we would not uh, pass on a self-confidence, a, oh, you can do it because you're so strong to our kids, because that will leave them wandering. Lord, I pray we would pass on, put your hope in Jesus. Put your confidence in God. Don't trust yourself. Surrender to him. Father, may they see that in our lives. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.